Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today's episode is going to be our Week 2 NFL preview. Connor Larson and I are back. We had an excellent Week 1, a hot start to the NFL season. Bringing back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, Ben. What's popping, brother? What is popping? Man, we... Look, this is our first podcast of the week. And we got to be honest. Wait, well... We got to be honest with our listeners, okay? We, kind of. We, uh, we screwed up. We had a little bit of a snafu earlier this week, an audio snafu. We recorded our week one reactions on, what was it, Tuesday? Mm-hmm. And um, might have even been Monday, I can't remember. It was earlier in the week, and it was a good podcast, best podcast you ever heard, didn't, you never heard the best podcast. Oh, it's just like, this is incredible, folks. It's floating around somewhere out there. <laughs> The late night talk show hosts are still talking about how great this podcast was. They were like Ben and Connor versus Eli and Peyton. You know, that's where it was. That's where it was ranked. It was up there. It was oh, far with oh my god, incredible. <laughs> what what happened to it, Ben? We had a little audio snafu. A couple of different recordings just didn't didn't work. Um, especially the Zoom recordings that we use for our, our podcast recordings. It just didn't come through on my computer. Blah, blah, blah. Audio. People, just... we need to get Ben new Wi-Fi. Come on. Help us out. <laughs> Subscribe to All Things Analysis, okay? We need to get Ben a new computer. A new computer is, is the way to go, I think. It's, a, it's, an, it's an ATA down the line upgrade on, <laughs> on yeah. the horizon coming soon. We're, uh, we're New computer, new upgrade. We'll, we'll get there at some point. But... Analysis just burns through the RAM. The computer exploded. <laughs> With that said, Connor, let's quickly run through what we kind of were touching on in that pro- podcast that got deleted. Um, just a little bit of week one re- flash recap. You know, it, like I, we said it in our reactions earlier, it was the week of the underdogs. 12 underdogs covered against the spread, 9 1 straight up. Over the last 30 years, only once has there been a week where 70% or more of the underdogs covered that spread. That was in 1999. For the first time over the last 30 years as well, more than seven underdogs won outright. So it was a big week historically for the underdog. Also, over-under betting totals, the, the the point totals for betting over-unders. The unders, like we, like we kind of predicted in our week one analysis, nine of the 14 non-overtime games went under 64.3%. There were two overtime games. They both went over. So when you exclude those numbers... Um, you know, it, it kind of shows you the value and possibly looking at these point totals looking a little bit high early on, especially after last year when the, the point totals were just higher than, than ever in history of the NFL. So keep that in mind as we go forward here and we go into our week two analysis. Some major surprises and disappointments on the week. Got to start with the New Orleans Saints and the Green Bay Packers on those opposite sides. The New Orleans Saints dominated the Green Bay Packers. Just an outright embarrassing game for the Packers. Really impressive, surprising performance for New Orleans. A lot of people projecting them to you know, have some decline after Drew Brees' retirement. Jameis steps up, had an incredibly efficient game. Five touchdowns. I think he only had like 148 yards, though. So incredibly efficient. New Orleans offense looked like it didn't miss. It didn't skip a beat with Breeze gone. We'll see if they could keep it going uh, throughout the rest of the season. Also, Arizona, Tennessee, also on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Arizona was incredibly surprising. Really, just dominated Tennessee from start to finish. They actually had an opening drive of they had like five penalties in the first drive. I think they got a field goal, and then that was you know they never they never stopped moving after that. Arizona dominated Tennessee in their Week One matchup. My best bet of the week was incredibly disappointing. And, you know, surprisingly, we actually still did well. We recovered on all of our other bets, really. 
And Minnesota, minus three was one of my best bets. Very disappointing performance out of them. The Bengals, Joe Burrow, looks very impressive. Not even nine and a half months removed from that major ACL repair surgery. Looked great. Jamar Chase didn't skip a beat. He didn't play at all last year in college football. Comes in, I think he had 100 yards and a touchdown in his pro debut for the Bengals. Looking like a decent pick at that number five spot for the Bengals in the offseason draft. Also... The Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. That game was pretty surprising. Falcons laid, a, laid an egg. Eagles came out firing. Hurts looks great with them. We'll touch on those matchups later for those respective teams. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers were a surprising victory with a surprising victory of the Buffalo Bills. Those were the kind of the teams that I want to touch on with some things that, you know, be, be wary of what you're taking out of those games. Surprise, surprises and disappointments. Try not to overreact from anything. If you are overreacting, make sure that you're aware of it. That's kind of just the where you're at with rolling into week two, understanding that week one can be a little bit of a falsity, especially these first like three, four weeks can all kind of just be random oddities, outliers of performances for different teams for various reasons. But, you know, very um, encouraging to see the surprises for these teams and then, you know, hoping for some bounce back performances from the disappointments. Anything you've said on that, Connor? Yeah, just, yeah, I think you summed it up very well. It's important to keep in mind. Just one week. Definitely. All right, let's roll into the week two matchups, buddy. The Las Vegas Raiders, the coming off the big Monday night football victory against the Baltimore Ravens. They're facing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I said, they had a, a surprising performance against the Buffalo Bills in week one. The Steelers are favored by six and a half points. Big point, to, uh, big point spread there. The over-under, win to, uh, over-under point total is 46 and a half points. The Raiders, like I said, coming off that big emotional overtime victory on Monday night. Week one against Baltimore, their offense looked solid, but the advanced stats suggest it might have been a little bit of fool's gold. We can get into that a little bit later. Steelers on the other side, you know, was the week one victory? Don't try, you know, this six and a half point spread. It feels like it's a major difference here. The, the Steelers being the home team, so we're talking about a three and a half point spread difference on a neutral field, giving the Steelers the extra three points for home field advantage. But, you know, the offense couldn't run the football for the Steelers in the first half. They really just, like, had – I think they had almost zero yards literally in the first half running the ball. Had an overall poor offensive showing. They On the, on offense, they had a 40% success rate against Buffalo. Roethlisberger was second in the league last week in bad throw percentage. He had 28.1% bad throw percentage, second behind just Aaron Rodgers. They only had one touchdown on offense. The line moved – from last week to this week, from f- negative five and a half in Pittsburgh's favor to six and a half. So one point, uh, you know, change after the week after the week one results. Think that's a little bit overreaction, or is that is that something that you anticipated from the Steelers after that big performance against Buffalo? My prediction going into week one was that I think we're underrating the Steelers. You know, everybody was predicting a big regression based on their own line play, but. Their defense looked strong as ever against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, which we projected to be one of the top offenses. And and they did a great job, you know, mainly halting that attack and came away week one with a victory. So I'm not shocked to see the line move like that, but also Las Vegas had an impressive win against the Ravens, which we all thought had a solid defense as well. And it looked like Derek Carr was able to pick them apart. And the question is, is Las Vegas going to be able to create enough pressure on Pittsburgh's O-line to create the difference between what these two teams are going to be able to put up score-wise? Yeah. 
Well, I got to say, you know, Vegas's defense surprised a little bit in week one. After the performance, they now rank ninth in defensive DVOA. You know, it's just one week, but it's a, it's a big jump from their their 2020 performance. The defense was the major X factor for Vegas's, um, you know, performance this season. They looked great in week one. Maybe a little bit of that was Baltimore coming out slow after all the injuries. A lot of just negative factors impacting Baltimore's week one performance. But Vegas, you got to give them credit. You know, they, they they almost pissed that game away in overtime. And uh, <laughs> they really just got out, got out with a victory by the skin of their teeth. And, um, you know, Lamar, he held the ball longer than any quarterback in week one. Roethlisberger ranked second and the fastest to get the ball out. So we're talking about two very different offenses, though, heading into week two for the for the Raiders now. Pittsburgh also has three excellent wide receivers. It's going to stretch Vegas's secondary a little bit thin. So we're talking about a completely different animal here for the Vegas uh, defense. And so we'll see if they can make the adjustments schematically because the secondary is going to get tested a lot more against uh, the Steelers here. Sorry, I had to mute myself there. had a little sneeze. (laughs) Sneezing, man. It's that cat that's just roaming around you. (laughs) It is. I think I'm slightly allergic to her, but she's too cute not to keep. (laughs) All right, man. I think think you bring up some excellent points. And, um, you know, I think Marquise Brown is still nursing uh, an ankle injury. So that's something to monitor in terms of the offensive strength of what we see from, uh, you know, the Ravens in the upcoming matchup. But, you know, that's obviously further coming. Definitely. All right, some betting trends. The total has gone over in each of Las Vegas's last five games. Vegas has seven and one against the spread in the last eight games against Pittsburgh. Over uh, the total has gone over in four of Pittsburgh's last five games, and Pittsburgh is four and one straight up in their last five games against Vegas. So Vegas has been good against the spread, but Pittsburgh's been getting the wins. You know, this one's a stay away for me. But gun to my head, I have to pick. I'm, I'm taking Pittsburgh minus six and a half. I like, I like the performance from their defense in week one. And I think they're better than Baltimore's defense. I think they're going to give the, the Raiders a little bit more run for their money. And, and the Raiders, like I said, got that week one victory by the skin of their teeth. They really didn't deserve it after they almost blew it in overtime, getting the false start at the, at the half-yard line by Richie Incognito. And then the David Carr interception in the end zone really just got lucky in overtime. And... Um, I think that we could see Pittsburgh perform a little bit better um, than Baltimore did last week. I really like the comebacks of TJ Watt and uh, Devin Bush. Devin Bush was an animal in week one. We'll look to see if that continues. Melvin Ingram is also a presence in his own right. They added him coming from the Chargers this year. He was a presence in his own right. Didn't have, didn't have too many tackles, didn't do too much you know, physically on the football field, but his presence was definitely felt in that week one victory over Buffalo. So I'm taking Pittsburgh minus six and a half, but I'm staying away from any personal dough on this. I, I definitely... Um, if I, you know, because, you know, Pittsburgh gets the extra day of rest with the coaching advantage, I think Tomlin's a better coach than Gruden. You know, Steelers have the better defense. I'm going to bank on their offense to continue to improve a little bit over the course of the season. So long as Big Ben, you know, stays healthy and doesn't, you know, suffer any setbacks with his physical. Um, if anything right here, I'd just take the safe money. I'd bet the money line Pittsburgh on Pittsburgh because um, that defense, you know, the offense is going to need more time to gel. But historically, we're looking at the point total here at, at what is it, 40 six and a half you know the point total is kind of telling you to take the over the historical trends but with that defense from pittsburgh the uh the and then pittsburgh's offense you know not really showing much in the buffalo game to get excited about i'm kind of staying away from that too because um while the historic historical trends say over you know my gut's telling me after those week one performances from each team that you know trends are kind of pointing towards the under 
Yeah, Pittsburgh's O-line is still a problem. Uh, I don't think that the Raiders are necessarily the team that can expose that. They're not, they don't necessarily have the most um, ridiculous pass rush compared to, you know, even the, just the Bills. But I'd definitely like the Steelers in this game because of what we saw from that defensive performance. I thought that was very encouraging. And I believe in the talent of their offensive weapons as well. You know, the three receivers, um, in addition to the first round pick, Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris has a has a large improvement over game one. And, you know, he was on, in on every single snap. You know, finally got his first taste of regular season. And I think we see uh, a nice next step from him. Additionally, Josh Jacobs looked a bit gimpy in that week one performance. I think he was like 10 for 34. You know, you got lucky if you had him on your fantasy team because he got the two touchdowns. But other than that, he didn't look very effective. And I don't believe Kenyon Drake is as good of a running back as Josh Jacobs. So I think they could be a little bit more one dimensional in terms of the Raiders offensive output. Agreed. All right. Next game, Cincinnati at Chicago. The spread here is minus two and a half in favor of the Bears. The over-under point total is 45 and a half. Cincinnati is two and four against the spread in their last six road game in their last six uh, road games dating back to the last season. Totals have gone over in four of Chicago's last five games. The total has gone under in 14 of Chicago's last 19 games. These teams both coming uh, off of kind of different performances last week. Cincinnati had a surprising victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Chicago with, you know, expectedly disappointing week one performance from the Rams. The Rams are expected to be one of the league's best teams this season. You know, facing two completely different opponents, these teams kind of come into this match. They're pretty equally matched. Um, And this point spreads kind of telling you that on a neutral field, maybe Cincinnati has a half point edge. So, you think uh, you think you know Cincinnati's first first week you know against Minnesota we made Minnesota our best bet was anticipating a lot out of Cincinnati I was proven wrong you know Cincinnati offense looked great Burrow's back there slinging the ball again Chase you know looked good as a, it looked like like a, the fifth overall pick you know that worthy of that you know draft pedigree is that something that we can anticipate moving forward you think or is that a little bit more fool's gold week one overreaction. Yeah, it, it's more of a question of did Cincinnati win the game or was Minnesota that bad? Uh, and I, but I think it's somewhere in between. I think Minnesota is kind of worse than what you're expecting. But I think Cincinnati has definitely taken a step up since last year. You know, Mixon looked very effective. A.J. Green was uh, extremely underwhelming in terms of his past targets last year. They replaced him with Jamar Chase on that offense, and he looked fantastic in week one. So I think that trio of pass catchers along with and, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, a healthy Joe Burrow, at least that's what he looked like week one. I think that team is moving in the right direction. And so in this game where I think Andy Dalton's past is prime and, that, you know, the Bears did not look good week one. I'm going to take Cincinnati in this one, especially with the points in their favor. No, I understand what you're saying here. Um, I'm just still pessimistic on Cincinnati. I'm going with the Bears minus two and a half. I think the look, the Bears defense was surprisingly pretty terrible in week one. Um, the Rams are great, but the, the Bears are just were just very bad. Yes, so, I think the Rams are excellent this year. I'm a little bit optimistic about Chicago's offense. Their offense actually performed pretty well against that, you know, that Rams defense that I expected to be pretty good this season. Um, Dalton ranks, you know, right around, you know, he was to be expected 23rd in QBR last week. PFF ranked him 24th overall in the league. You know, not good, but serviceable. Um, Kind of staving off that Justin Fields 
debut a little bit longer. He was facing one of the most, you know, best opposing defenses in football. He was 27 of 38, 71 completion percentage, 5.4 yards per attempt, 206 yards total, 72.9 QBR, no touchdowns and interception. He had a 56 success, 56 percent success rate on pass attempts. Overall offense success rate was 58 percent. David Montgomery had a great game, keeping that rush that um, that rush success rate pretty high in his mm-hmm. um, in his workload. Um, but the Bears had a turnover in the end zone. They had two other turnover on downs in the red zone. Um, some pretty bad luck kind of went their way, kind of skewing the the true nature of the score against the Rams. Could have been a little bit closer than what it seemed like. Um, and you know this is a Dalton revenge game against Cincinnati. You know that has to be considered a little bit of what as well. You know Dalton's not necessarily someone that's gonna go out there and seek. He doesn't really come across as a guy that's gonna be keeping that chip on his shoulder. But you gotta factor out that a little bit. Maybe to, to, all else equal, I maybe give Dalton the edge there. Um, and I, I think I'm leaning Chicago minus two and a half. You know this line was Chicago minus one and a half earlier in the week. Like I said, opened at minus three, got bet down to minus a point and a half. I actually was able to get a little bit of money on that at the point when I was at a point and a half. I bet the parlay Chicago minus one and a half and the over on the 45 and a half. I think these two defenses struggle to stop the offenses. I think we see a high scoring game in this one, 45 and a half. I'm, I'm, if my best bet on this, on this game would be the over on 45 and a half, but I lean Chicago still minus two and a half. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I just, I don't think Dalton looked good week one. David Montgomery definitely looked legit though. And Damian Williams looked decent as a, as a, running back to as well so definitely no i wouldn't be shocked if they they see some positive regression in terms of their scoring alan robinson wasn't very involved in week one and i don't think that's a trend that we expect to continue yeah all right this next matchup houston against cleveland the texans versus the browns the point spread is a big one minus 13 in favor of the browns 47 and a half is the over under point total look this is uh an early season double digit spread um that could all, you know, this early in the year, it could spell for some great value in Houston's favor. I'm never really a big fan of betting the favorites when you have over a 10 point spread early in the season. It's just too early to expect a massive performance, dominating performance out of a team like Cleveland that um, still is working to prove themselves as one of the league's top top teams. And I, I believe they are, but it's still early. And Houston had a good game against Jacksonville in week one. I still think Houston's a bad team, but I just think there's value in this in this type of spread. Houston is five and five and zero oh against the spread in the last five games against the Browns. Their t- the total here between these two teams has gone under in nine of the last ten games between uh, this matchup. The total has also gone under in four of Cleveland's last five home games against Houston. So I just I, I think if anything. I, 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 I'm going to my head. I have to pick, you know, the, the 13 point spread. I'm going Houston plus 13, but um, if anything, I'm going under. So I, what I do is Houston plus 13 and parlay it with the under 47 and a half. That's a plus 247 odds on Fandle. Not bad value there. Um, Cleveland, you know, they're, they're 25th and seconds per play last week. They're they're in control. Um, if they're in control of this one, it, like um, like they were against Kansas City, they got to an early lead against Kansas City. If they're in control early on, I think they just look to run the ball. I think a big game from Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt is definitely in the cards here. Browns could just run the run the clock out in the second half, let the clock run uh, by, by using that rushing attack heavily. Um, and, and if you like Cleveland, if anything, if you like Cleveland, I'd probably parlay with the over on the team total thirty and a half. Um, 
you know, Cleveland ranked first in yards per play and, and success rate last week. If the teams go to script, uh, if this game goes to script for them, they'll probably score a lot of points. So what are your thoughts on this one, Connor? Yeah, I think it's too big of a line for this early on in the season. So I think, you know, money-wise, I think the wise bet's on Houston. I just don't think there's enough data to support that big of an expectation, especially with what we saw from Houston. I mean, they look serviceable with Tyrod at quarterback, and Brandon Cooks looked fine. You know, in the trio of running backs, you know, they, they can get some performance out of them. Uh, between Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, and David Johnson, I think there's enough talent there that a 13-point line, even if at some point it does get that far ahead, they, they will close the gap uh, by the end of the game. Agreed. All right, the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Indianapolis Colts. In Indianapolis, the Colts are the underdogs by 3.5 points. The Rams laying a 3.5 over under a point total, 47.5. Rams had that big, impressive debut last week that Matt Stafford breakout performance for the Rams their win total remains at 10 and a half and the Colts you know had a mediocre week one showing against the Seahawks their point they over on um their win total dropped uh half a game actually it was previously at nine now down to eight and a half are you really going to knock the Colts a little bit for that Seattle that Seattle loss I mean or I feel like that's a little bit of an expected loss in the in the schedule I mean that was a good performance from Seattle they're a good team what are your thoughts there they're a good team but I don't think they're as good as the Rams and the Seattle took the Colts to the cleaners. I mean, I really didn't see anything from the Colts where I was really excited by their performance. Um, so yeah, if you're giving me the Rams at only three and a half compared to how much Seattle was able to just beat them by last week, I mean, I'm easily going to be on the Rams side. I thought, I think going into the season, I thought that the Rams were one of the most talented teams. Having Matthew Stafford is a huge boon to their value over Jared Goff. And uh, they, they showed week one with Matt Stafford's best ever QBR performance in his career. And it was his first week with the Rams, not shocking, but the, uh, the weapons on that team. So I'm easily going to be on the side of the Rams here on my pick. Yeah. This is one of my better bets of the week. I think Rams minus three and a half is one of my, my, my favorites here. Um, but really the X factor for me on the Colts offensive side of the football is going to be the rushing game. Actually, Jonathan Taylor last week only had a 33% success rate in the, in the first three quarters. That was 12 rushes, only 33% success. Kind of surprising with a guy with that kind of talent. The Colts overall on offense during the game had a 54% success rate. They had a 63, 63% success rate on early down passes in the first three quarters. So um, Wentz actually had a little bit of an impressive performance. Uh, and... We'll have to see if he could keep that going. The Rams were 31st in rush defense, according to Rush DVOA last week, which is kind of surprising. We'll see if that kind of rebounds. I anticipate it probably will. But with Taylor struggling so much last week, the Rams uh, struggling on rush defense, we'll see how that matchup kind of plays out. Kind of both lackluster performances in the week one showings. We'll see if the Rams can rebound on defense or if Taylor can have a a first good performance for here for fantasy owners and for the Colts. Um, if the, if the Colts, I think, are, if they're going to compete in this one, Taylor's going to need a much better game because the, the Bears' best player last week was Montgomery. He had 16 rushes, 108 yards, one touchdown against the Rams. The question is whether Taylor or not can have a game like that or not. And they're going to the, the Colts are probably going to need an even better game if they're going to cover this point spread. Yeah, I think it's logical based on Montgomery's performance. You know, we think Taylor's a very talented back, so I, I do think he performs better in Week Two against this Rams uh, defensive line that was exposed in week one by you know, the Chicago bears, which we don't think of as like a, a very good offensive line either. And Montgomery, you know, he's a decent talent though. So, yeah. 
I think Taylor will do fine. Agreed. All right, the Rams, we're both on them, minus three and a half. The Rams are really just one of the handful of teams contending for the top spot in the current power rankings. They're looking great. We'll have to see if they keep it rolling. Last week, you said, like like you said, Seattle was able to beat Indianapolis by 12 despite a competitive performance, what seemed like a competitive performance from the Colts. I have a hard time seeing why the Rams can't do something similar, if not better. Um, my prop pick here on this game, I have a prop here. Carson Wentz under 235 and a half passing yards. I think we see the Colts get most of their offense on the ground. Like I said, with Taylor, the Rams, ha- uh, the Rams have one of, if not the best secondaries in football. They actually finished seventh in pass DVOA last week, while I said they finished 31st in the rush DVOA. So Wentz had 254 yards passing last week. He, that would hit the over here, but he was under pressure 31.8% of the time. That was the eighth highest rate. I think we even see that increase in week two. As one of the league's worst quarterbacks under pressure, I, I think that uh, I definitely wouldn't bank on that number decreasing here um, against the Rams in Week 2. The Colts were roughly 50-50 in their pass-rush ratio last week in terms of play calling, but they had a 67% rate, uh, success rate on runs and a 58% success rate on passes. So the the Colts are definitely going to need to run the ball more efficiently this in this game. All right, Connor, let's roll into the next matchup. Buffalo at Miami. The Buffalo Bills are favored by three and a half points. The over-under point total is 47 and a half. An, NFC, an AFC matchup here between two teams uh, with who Miami got the win last week against New England, got it by the, just the skin of their teeth. Buffalo had a disappointing week one against Pittsburgh. I picked Buffalo as one of my Super Bowl dark horse teams. I, I put a little bit of money on them um, to win it all, honestly. I think that they had a, a pretty encouraging outlook coming into the year i was disappointed by that first week i I know i'm trying not to overreact um but i think pittsburgh's defense was definitely a little bit underrated like you said but they were definitely stifled on offense the 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 bills um they did their dvoa on offense was ranked 24th overall after the week they were 27th on offense and eighth on defense um sorry so the overall was 24 but their offense was 27 so even worse Miami, like I said, won the nail-biter against New England. They were finished 10th in DVOA overall, 14th on offense, and 10th on defense. Had an impressive showing in Week 1. They really had a ho-hum offensive performance, though. Kind of, They had a 54% success rate overall, 52% on passing, 57% on rushing. They were bad on third downs, converting only four first downs on 11 attempts. That's a 36% success rate on third downs. They only continued their uh, their, they continued their trends from last season with success in twelve personnel. Though they ran, we talked about this in our AFC East preview with the Dolphins. The 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 Dolphins really need to steer into that twelve personnel success. They ran the ball they uh, ran the ball nineteen times out of twelve personnel. That's thirty seven percent of their plays in that grouping. They had a seventy four percent success rate on those runs. Forty seven percent was passed and fifty three percent was run in terms of play distribution from 12 personnel they were six of nine passing the ball 8.4 yards per attempt Tua had a 129.9 passer rating and one touchdown out of 12 personnel so a lot of success out of that play grouping that personnel grouping um but also you know look at the other side of the coin 48 percent of their plays were in 11 personnel but they had just a 30 set 36 percent success rate on a 70s uh 76 percent pass rate 42% success on those passes, 6.4 yards per attempt, 48.2 passer rating from two of one interception. Really big drop off in terms of efficiency when you throw out the extra tight end from 12 personnel to 11. So, like I said, from listeners, if you haven't been following us in the preseason, just quick quick summary: 11 personnel is three wide receivers, 
and 12 personnel is two tight ends, two wide receivers. Essentially, when you look at 11, it's, it means the first number is the amount of running backs, second number is the amount of tight ends, and it leads to telling you kind of how many receivers are on the field and how many, basically how many skilled players are on the field across the board. So 11 personnel, like I said, we are three wide receivers, 12 personnel is two tight ends, one, one running back. So, um, you know, Pittsburgh, on the other side of the coin with the Bills, they ran the ball at the fourth highest rate out of 11 personnel against the Bills. Uh, that was last week. They they ran the ball seventy eight percent of the time out of eleven personnel. So that's the Dolphins' weakness, and we'll have to see how they adjust coming to this matchup against the uh, the Bills this or the uh, Dolphins this week. What do you think, Connor? I I think that Buffalo in week two will able will be able to win this matchup. I'm just still not totally a believer in Tua's skills yet, and I don't know if offensively they can keep up with what the the Bills can perform at. I don't think Miami's offense or Miami's defense is quite as good as Steelers' defense. So I expect kind of a bounce back performance from Buffalo here and Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I, I look, I, I I'm with you at the Buffalo train. Like I said, I've been optimistic about them all all preseason. They're five and zero straight up. In the last five games against Miami, the total has gone over between these two teams in each of the last five games. Miami has been good at home against the spread, though, recently. They're 5-0 and over the last five. So both these teams have been pretty good over the last year, too. Um, we'll see if, if this AFC East matchup turns out to be a doozy. I'm picking Buffalo minus 3.5, though. Yep, going the same way with you. All right, next matchup, New England at the New York Jets. The Patriots are favored by six points in this one. Pretty big point spread for the rookie quarterback out of New England, Mac Jones. The over-under point total is 42 and a half. The Patriots, you know, last week we talked about this with the Miami. They lost a coin toss of a game. Mac Jones' first NFL career start. The Pats were favored at home by three, according to them kind of in a pick game on a neutral field against the Dolphins last week. And they saw... Um, after that loss against Miami, with which was supposed to be a coin flip of a game, they saw their win total drop to eight and a half. Uh, they started out the season to, at nine and a half. So we, we saw some dis- some disappointment across Vegas betting lines with the Patriots after just one game. Mac Jones's rookie debut. They had the game in their grasp. Damian Damian Harris fumbles the ball with less than, less than three minutes to go at the eleven yard line. The Pats had it. And they let it go, and we saw some pretty just a lot of people in, in betting circles turn their backs on the Patriots after just one loss. What are your thoughts here uh, in terms of a Patriots bounce back game? And you know, what did you see out of Zach Wilson and the Jets in their game against Carolina in Week One? I thought Zach Wilson looked you know effective, uh, and I was encouraged by his performance just as much as you know Mac Jones in Game One. So I, I do think that. The six-point line is is a bit heavy. I think that both of these teams have decent defenses. Uh, And and listen, they're playing against, you know, it's going to be two rookie quarterbacks in their second game of the year. So rightfully so, it's it's a low-scoring total. And so if you're talking about such a low-scoring total to have such a large line at six points, I think it's going to be hard for the Patriots to, you know, cover that point total. Yeah. I um, here's my thoughts on this one. I think I have a pretty good grasp on how this one I think might play out because, look, the Jets last week had a, a pretty mixed bag of results. Zach Wilson showed flashes of great play, but he also was incredibly inconsistent. He had a 37 percent success rate, 4.8 
yards per play, two touchdowns, one interception, but he had five explosive pass plays. It's a pretty good, that's a pretty good mark for a rookie quarterback. He's looking deep. He wants to stretch the field with this Jets offense, but he paid the price at least once. He had some pretty nasty throws too, pretty inaccurate at times, but you know, he's a, he's, he's a rookie quarterback going to go through some lumps, especially when you have, you know, some developing players around him as well. Um, but you know, the Patriots finished eighth in defense and p- defensive pass DVO, uh, DVOA last week. That's not necessarily that encouraging for Zach Wilson heading into this one. Carolina's pass defense is not as good as the Patriots, at least the, what the Patriots expect to be this year, even without Stefan Gilmore. But really you look past you, when you look at the Jets offense, the problem wasn't even Zach Wilson in week one. It was this rushing game. They had a 35% success rate running the ball. Without a clear pecking order in this backfield, it just feels like none of, none of these three backs can really get into a rhythm. You got Tevin Coleman, Michael Carter, and Ty Johnson all splitting time in this backfield. And, and none of them really had any success besides, you know, Ke- Tevin Coleman had a couple good runs. He had a 44% success rate on his nine carries. He got only 24 yards, though. Zach Wilson needs to be more involved in rushing attack. He had zero carries for zero yards in week one. At BYU, in his, in his final season at BYU, he had 70 rushes for 254 yards. That's a 3.6 yards per carry rate. He had 10 touchdowns on the ground. He needs to get more involved this week if the, if the Jets are going to compete against the Patriots. He, he needs to be running the football. I know you want to protect your rookie quarterback, but that's not acceptable, especially when you're running a game at only a 35% success rate for New York. So that's not encouraging unless they you know make some adjustments there. I think, you know, this this line, when you look at just the, the Vegas trends here, this line opened up at plus three for the Patriots. So some heavy money has been getting poured in on the path. So really at this six at this six point marker, there's not a lot of value left. There's not a lot of meat on the bone with this betting line. So here's what I'm doing. I'm picking New England minus six, I'm, but really I'm, I'm avoiding picking the line at all. If you like New England, which I do in this game, I think, I mean, obviously the money line has no value, but I, if you want to bet the money line, go ahead. But if you want to bet New England, I'd bet the over on their team total. Their team total is only 18. I'd also bet over on Damien Harris's rush yardage total, 73 and a half. Damien Harris looked great in week one. You got, uh, and, you know, the Jets last week did a terrible job defending Christian McCaffrey. If Harris can be just 75% as successful as McCaffrey was last week, he's a good bet to exceed that yardage total of 73 and a half. I really like Harris in this game. Make sense, Connor? No. Yeah, nope. I, I see it differently. I think it's it's too big of a line. Are you sure that the um, New England's point total is 18? I would expect it to be 24 and the Jets' point total to be 18 if it's a six-point line with a 42 over or under. Is this um, – oh, I looked up the home team point total. You're right. Jets is 18. I'd still pick the over, though. The, so over on 24 is my guess, right? 20, yes, 24. That's what I'd do. Over on the over on the points over twenty fourth for the Patriots. Look, the Patriots had a on offense they had a forty what is it fifty seven percent success rate overall. They won the game last week in the box score. They won it, and I don't really understand why DVOA is ranking them so much lower than uh, Miami because it was a lot closer game in the box score than it looked like on, uh, on the field. And I, I, it looked like it was a close game on the field. So a lot of the advanced stats for the Patriots offense was very encouraging. And I think we see that going again in week two. Really, though, the uh, we talked about personnel groupings with the Dolphins. The Patriots need to improve their success rating in 11 personnel. I mean, 12 personnel, the way the Dolphins did. Um, they were really efficient at 12. Patriots were actually pretty inefficient at 12, which is something they really are committed to doing, considering they acquired Hunter Henry and John New Smith, two receiving tight ends. 
You want to play a lot of 12 personnel with those guys. You got two tight ends on the field, two receivers, one running back. That's your 12 personnel grouping. You only had a 38% success rate on those plays last week. That needs to improve. That's probably the biggest area of improvement for this offense. It's going to be a priority for them heading into this week two matchup against the Jets. I still like the I still like the Patriots here. I'm betting they're over on the team total 24. I'm optimistic about that. Fair enough. We'll see what happens next week. All right. Next I like question. I like watching the Patriots lose, so I, I like betting on them to lose. Too. I know you do, buddy. All right, San Francisco, <laughs> San Francisco at Philadelphia. The the San Francisco 49ers are favorites here by three points. The over under point total is going up in this one. It's four it's up to forty nine and a half. For one of the biggest surprises in week one. The public optimism has moved this line from San Francisco minus three to minus minus four to minus three. So it's moved a full point in Philadelphia's favor. Both these teams saw their win total lines move up a full game after the week one wins for both these teams. San Francisco is now up to 11 and a half from 10 and a half to start the year. Philadelphia is up to seven and a half. You look, San Francisco's line is too high. If you want to find some value on a future bet, bet the under on 11 and a half. This division in the NFC West is one, is one of the one of the best, if not the best divisions in the NFL. Look, this schedule is going to get tough for San Francisco and 11 and a half is a lot of wins 12 if you're if you're making on the Niners to get 12 wins especially after the injury bug that's bit them early on I, I think that's a good future bet under 11 and a half but in this matchup specifically what are you looking at here Connor you know Philly looked really good in week one against what we thought was a better perceived opponent in the Falcons compared to San Francisco playing Detroit you know they almost let the uh the back end comeback happen on them. So I was Detroit very spread. Exactly. Detroit covered the spread. It finished at eight and a half. It got bet down to eight and a half for San Francisco. They, they covered at the end. I was very encouraged by the D line of Philadelphia. They're getting after the quarterback. Jalen hurts looks fantastic in his year too. And so, you know, if I'm getting positive points for Philly, I'm going to, I'm going to take the young electric team that I think, can absolutely come back if they're down, but I also think they can do well from ahead. I like Miles Sanders. I like their rookie, Kenneth Gainwell. He looked very good on the ground and through the passing game too. So I think this team is, is well built uh, to be successful. And in San Francisco definitely did worry me. Uh, and the fact that they let the other team come back in that game, especially the Lions who we saw as a bottom two roster. Yeah, this is one of my best bets of the week. Let's preview it this here because I'm highly encouraged with the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'll tell you why I'm previewing it. I got the Eagles plus three. I also have the over on Miles Sanders receiving yardage total. It's only 18 and a half. Let me give you some 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 background statistics here. Hertz last year we talked about in our preview. Hertz was holding the ball, I think, the second longest in the NFL behind just Lamar Jackson last season. He held the ball way too long and his average depth of target was 9.3 yards that was the most of any quarterback in the nfl hurts only had four starts so that take that with a grain of salt small sample size but he was throwing the ball way too far downfield making you know taking too many risks making uh low low um low percentage throws making him making it difficult on himself what they do in week one new head coach new offensive coordinator New offense built around their young quarterback, Jalen Hurts. That average depth of target number dipped all the way down to 3.4 yards in week week one. That's a, what is that, a six-point, six-yard charge difference, essentially? That's that's very encouraging in terms of just creating the confidence for a guy like Jalen Hurts. 
look, 3.4 yards is probably a little bit lower than they anticipated, but it worked. You know, it, the game script went to, went to plan for them. We'll probably see Hurts settle in somewhere in between 3.4 and 9.3 as the season goes on. But look, 3.4 yards shows you that the Eagles are aware of the problem. They want to create more high percentage throws for their young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, and it worked in week one. This is a trend in a very positive direction for Jalen. He's holding the ball too long last year, attempting low probability throws downfield. And what did they do in week one? They made the adjustments. I love it. I love, I look, I love what I'm seeing from Nick Sirianni for the new head coach for the Eagles. He just lives and breathes Philadelphia. He seems to really just enjoy this camaraderie of the team, the community in Philly. And it just seems like a dramatic shift is coming in Philadelphia. It's week one. Look, this, this might be, this might be the team I'm overreacting the biggest on after week one. And I, I was highly encouraged by the offensive adjustments they made. Hertz was also under pressure only 17.9% of the time. So another X factor we talked about was the health of the offensive line. 2021 is off to a great start, allowing Hertz to only get hit just once last week. He only took one hit. The offensive line had a 75% pass block win rate. That was second in the NFL. I really love what I saw from Philadelphia. Are you sharing this optimism with me, Connor? Yeah, definitely. I, I really like their young pass catching core. Regular looked really good, caught a touchdown. Same thing with Devonta Smith. And Miles Sanders had over 100 yards. And like I said before, Kenneth Gainwell, the, the rookie running back, also looked very solid in, in a backup role. I think he had close to 10 touches and probably 50 yards combined along with the touchdown himself. So I'm very encouraged by this young Philadelphia offense. They, they seem to love this coach, Nick Sirianni. Apparently there was like crying after week one. I mean, it sounds like they would just go lay, lay down their lives on the field for this guy. And he he would do the same for them. And I'm encouraged by that type of energy. On the other hand, I mean, San Francisco seems to have all the wrong notes hitting. Hurts is a leader. He's always been a gamer. He's a winner wherever he is gone and he's brought that passion with him. He's brought it to the Eagles. I mean, I'm excited about this team. It's a lot of fun. Definitely. All right, some betting trends. San Francisco is 6-3 and three against the spread in their last nine road games against the Eagles. So that kind of bodes well for the Niners. But look at this. Philadelphia is 8-1 against the spread in their last nine games against the San Francisco 49ers in general. So I think that includes games on the road in San Francisco. The Eagles have been doing well in covering these spreads against the Niners. I'm really optimistic about this one. The Eagles are also 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six home games. Why, why do I like Miles Sanders over the 18.5 yardage total? Look at what DeAndre Swift did last week against the Niners. He had a big receiving game against the, against San Francisco. Look, the game script kind of did bode, uh, bode well for for uh, for Swift, and he's really the only, uh, only pass-catching option, elite pass-catching option besides TJ Hawkinson for Detroit. But look, Swift had an awesome game. He, I think he had, what, 60-something yards or 80-something yards receiving. Had, like, he, I can't remember the stat the stat line specifically, but he had a lot of receptions, a lot of yards. Eight for 65. We're talking we're talking about, like, like 20%, 25% of what Swift did last week. Sanders had a good game in his own right in week one. Receiving the ball, he had four receptions, 39 yards, and a 60% success rate on his receptions. I think Sanders is going to stay involved in the passing game despite the development of Kenneth Gainwell. Gainwell I liked as well. I was I was encouraged by what I saw out of him in week one. But look, 18 and a half is a pretty low line for for Miles Sanders. I love the parlay here with the Philadelphia plus three and the over on Miles Sanders receiving yards. Yeah, I think they both gave well. <laughs> I see what you did there, buddy. All right. Next up, New Orleans at the Carolina Panthers. The Saints had a big performance in week one. They are favored here by three and a half points against Carolina. The over under point total is 44 and a half. What do you see in this one, Connor? 
Give me the Saints, dude. I, I have the like the twenty fifth ranked team right, going into week just, one. Let's roll right through this one. I mean, their defense just looks so good against the freaking Packers. The Carolina, you know, Carolina does not have nearly the juice. They they what put up nineteen points against the Jets in week one. I think the Saints D is much better. Jameis looks legit. They were being very smart in how they game planned. They have one of the best coach teams. Alvin Kamara is a stud. Saints, Saints, Saints. Yeah, it's hard. Look, you you can't based on the way the Saints made the Packers look last week. You can't in your right mind believe that the, the Panthers stand a chance in this game you, until you see more out of the New Orleans Saints. We're gonna we're gonna need to see more com, uh, instances where the Saints are in a competitive setting. They, that game was a blow from the start with New Orleans. So I'm I'm kind of staying away from putting any personal dough on New Orleans just because we didn't see them compete. We saw them just absolutely dominate. And so you got to wonder how much of that was the Packers just being completely flat or the New Orleans Saints being just completely cooking on all cylinders. Look, it's likely a factor of both, a little combination of both, but how much, to what degree, that's the question. And look, if you're going to bet money on this, the smart money's on New Orleans, but there's not a lot of value at three and a half. It's bet past the, the, the field goal line. Carolina, you know, we're seeing some improvement out of them. Sam Darnold was, you know, somewhat somewhat decent last week. But look, the Saints were awesome. In every every aspect of the game, Saints just blew the Packers off the field last week. There's no way you could look at their performance in week one and say that um, they can't do it again in week two. You, you got to wait and see. You got we. I want to see them in a close game. And I don't know if we're going to see that in this one. I still take New Orleans minus three and a half, but I'm more or less kind of staying away. Some player props that I really like, though. These are the This is the area where I'll try to make my money in this game. I like over Christian McCaffrey receiving yards 46 and a half. Look, the Saints are excellent against the run. They We saw it against Aaron Jones. They, what Aaron Jones had six yards running last week or something like that. Terrible. But look, McCaffrey's going to get his yards. McCaffrey is an animal. And where's he going to get it this week if it's not on the ground? It's going to be through the air. McCaffrey is that safety blanket for Sam Darnold. We saw him get, I think, nine receptions in week one. He's a, he's the number one target in the receiving game, the number one guy in the rushing game. He does everything. And what does that mean for other guys on this offense? I'm taking this. This is why I'm taking the under on Roby Anderson, 47 and a half receiving yards. Roby Anderson was played this role last year for the Carolina Panthers offense. He was a safety blanket for Teddy Bridgewater. He kind of had the high receptions, lower average depth of target kind of uh, receiving season last year for the Panthers. That's not going to be the case this year. We're seeing Roby Anderson kind of lean back towards that initial uh, style of play that he had when he came into this into the league. He was a big threat, big play threat receiver, and we saw that he had one catch last week, fifty-seven yards and a touchdown. If you own Roby Anderson in fantasy football, I'd probably try to trade him. I, I just did not like what I saw out of the scheme for Carolina. He's not he's not emphasized. He's not going to be emphasized in this offense. And, you know, he's going to be boom and bust. He's going to have some decent games. He'll catch a long touchdown here and there. But it's going to be too many ups and downs because he's clearly not the, the safety blanket that he was last year. That's Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey is amazing. Amazing. And it leaves very little left on the table for a guy with Roby Anderson's skill set. I'm taking the under 47 and a half on Anderson's receiving yardage this year. I mean, this game. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, McCaffrey just soaked up every leftover target that there was last last game. Eight catches for 90 yards or maybe nine. I mean, ridiculous. He's amazing. All right, next matchup, the Denver Broncos taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Broncos had a good performance in week one against the Giants. Ugh. They're favored by six points here against the Jags. The over-under win to- point total is 45 and a half. Uh, I'm losing my voice, Connor. Tell me how you feel about this one. 
<clears throat> screw Denver. Uh, but no, I, I think Denver did look good in week one against my Giants. Uh, I, I think they easily covered the six I, points. I, I, I feel the depression in your voice. Especially uh, after recording it, this after the Thursday night game last last night when the Giants, the Giants lost. We're 0-2 again. I'm I'm depressed, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking away my feelings. I'm pushing through. It's 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast here. We're talking about Denver. I mean, gosh. What hope for you, buddy? Can you just play a Drake song in the background when you edit this and just let me cry myself to sleep? I I think Denver wins this game. I I watched week one, obviously, against the Giants. They looked very efficient. Teddy Bridgewater looked very good. An above average starting quarterback compared to Drew Locke last year. I think they take a step up. Jacksonville, I believe, is one of the worst teams in the league. They got blown out by Denver, or I mean, not blown out. They got blown out by Houston last week, or what felt like was a blowout. They weren't competitive. They put up garbage points at the end of the game. So I think Denver's a legitimate team. I don't think Houston is, and so therefore, I mean, a six-point line. I think just based on the transitive property, there we're talking about a Denver win, Denver cover. Yeah, I I'm with you here. Look, Jacksonville lost handedly to possibly one of the other four or five worst teams in the NFL last week. I think Houston's really bad, and I think we'll start to see that, especially in this matchup against Cleveland, who I think is really good. I think Jacksonville is just terrible. I think they're they're really bad. I don't like I don't, I don't like what I've seen. I don't like anything that I've seen out of them. And it sucks because you got the number one drafted quarterback. You got a high pedigree draft pick like that. You get Urban Meyer, who has this big name, great college coach. And he just doesn't really seem to be showing a whole lot of optimism to be encouraged about in Jacksonville. And I like their offensive weapons. Right. It seems like they have the, the, the pieces, the talent around a guy like Lawrence. And you look at what they did on offense last week against one of the league's worst defenses in Houston. The Jags had a 44 percent success rate on offense. Trevor Lawrence, he had a negative 14.1 percent difference between expected completion percentage versus his true completion percentage. That's a NFL next gen stat. That's the worst mark in the league. That's brutal. Essentially telling you that. The receivers for Jacksonville were creating space, creating windows for Lawrence, and he was not hitting them. He was completely inaccurate. That's a coaching problem, it seems like, because he's just not he, – he's, they're not creating high high percentage throws for a guy like this. And Lawrence is – look, Lawrence has all the talent in the world, but you need to develop him. I just I, – I, Denver last week, like, they were just too good for a team like Jacksonville this week. I, I really like Denver minus six. Bridgewater showed some very encouraging improvement for the Broncos passing game in week one. You know, they had a 53% success rate. They had three explosive plays, two touchdowns, pretty encouraging marks from them based on how conservative and um, well, just up and down they were last year in passing. They finished 13 passing DVOA last week in 2021 to kick off the year. And, And the season prior, 2020, they finished 31st in pass DVOA. So big improvement just in the first week. And look, Houston's, de- Houston's defense finished sixth in DVOA against Jacksonville in week one. Wish I could bet on that being their highest mark of the season. It's going to be all downhill for Houston going forward. They're not going to finish that high. That defense does not have the talent. They are not a top 10 defense talent-wise. They're more likely to be a bottom 10 defense based on who they have on that side of the field. Give me the Denver minus six. Also, a player prop. Look, I hate to do this to you, Connor. I know you're just do- talking about the depression of the New York Giants. I kind of like DJ Chark under 50 and a half pass. You shut your mouth. I know that's your boy. Look, Lawrence, <laughs> Lawrence was incredibly inaccurate in his first week. Incredibly inaccurate. He had Don't you fifth- put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that on me. <laughs> he had the fifth highest expected completion percentage based on the throws he was attempting. 
it was a 69% expected completion percentage based on his throws, but he had the third lowest true completion percentage of 54.9%. Just to GD, DJ Chark, is, he had 12 targets, 12 throws to DJ Chark, only three receptions. Like that. He had five targets that were considered catchable. Oh, so less God. than half of the throws to Chark were catchable. Only five. I don't know. DJ Chark is one of the public's favorite receivers. I know you really like a guy. But I think that kind of bodes well for this line. I think it's going to keep creeping up. I wait to Sunday morning to place a bet on the under for DJ Chark. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this creep up to like 55 and a half. I'd, I'd slam the under on that. All right. I'm going to take the over because DJ Chark is the type of player. If he's getting 12 targets, I have to think even one of those targets could go for the, the over. Target. What's the quality of the target? He had 86 yards last week. Yeah, with only three catches. He had he had uh like a forty something yard touchdown pass. Like Exactly. And that's week. but that's completely within his wheelhouse, which is why with such a low with such a low yardage total, I think he could take that entire yardage total in one catch. And let alone it would be historically bad if in multiple games in a row he only caught three out of twelve targets. You have to think there's some positive regression to the mean, no? Look that's a high amble because there's also some other talented receivers in that passing group. Marvin Jones Jr. has mm-hmm. the highest yards and he, I think he's like 58 and a half, and a half. Cause Chanel had a quiet week one. I think we see him kind of step into a larger role over the course of the season. Chark. Look, I know that's your guy, but I, I'm a little bit pessimistic about the, the uh, outlook, at least early on here until Lawrence kind of increases his, uh, his development. Hey, you know, let's make it our second bet of the year. You know, let, let's analyze it. All right, buddy. You down? All right. Just, to, just, to, just so you remember, our first bet was George Kittle versus Brandon Ayuk yards, and I'm on the Kittle side. Damn. <laughs> bad, bad beat. Boy. I'm looking good there. Yeah. Not a wild preseason take, but after week one, that one's looking tough on your end. For sure. Yeah. Everything is looking tough from San Francisco's end. All right. Minnesota at Arizona. The Minnesota Vikings taking on the very impressive Arizona Cardinals in week one. The Cardinals are favored by three and a half. The over-under point total, 50 and a half. A high one here in Arizona. Arizona looked excellent in week one, and it poses the question, are all four NFC West teams going to make the playoffs? That's what I want to kick this off with, because Arizona is widely considered the worst of the bunch here. You got the, the, the Cardinals, the Rams, Seahawks, and um, who am I missing? The 49ers. 49ers, we're just talking about them. <laughs> all, all, all teams seem to be kind of poised for a playoff run. And um, they do. Is that, is, that, is that in the cards here? Is that, no no uh, no pun intended, is that possibly in the cards here? It's tough. I mean, Kyler looked like an MVP in week one, didn't he? I mean, and J.J. Watt now on the side of the line gives opens up the field for Chandler Jones to get some sacks. I was really impressed by the Cardinals. For sure. Bill Simmons and and, and his uh, his buddy Sal, his cousin Sal, had a fan duel bet. They were able to do, like, will six teams in the Western divisions make the playoffs between the AFC and the NFC West? Yeah. And I, I, I put a little bit of money on that. I was like, I like that. Ooh, it was like plus 1,500 odds. Yeah. It was pretty solid. Yeah. So I, I threw a little sprinkle on that. It was a good one. I couldn't get those odds on FanDuel in Massachusetts. <laughs> We're not legal yet on the sports gambling Dude, side. The so legal gambling I'm jealous. Did I tell you about that Arizona, oh. Arizona promo? Bet? Yeah, you get like free bets that you're I, crushing. I, I, get, I, get, I get free money this week. I bet Arizona. Oh my I bet $50 God. on Arizona, minus 110 uh, payout. 
It's like plus 80 and a half points or something like that. It's free money. Arizona plus, because they give you the, it's like 200 people are allowed to take the bet. And every time someone places the bet, the line goes up one for in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So Arizona gets a point. It's basically free money. They're not going to, not going to get blown up by 80, 90 points. Like that's not in the cards here. Um, just getting back to the matchup here. Arizona looked excellent. And in the pre- you, Ben, you want to split that bet? <laughs> All right. No, no, no freaking way. That's free money. <laughs> Arizona, we talked about in the preseason. Some X factors with them was Kyler's rushing and his pass attempts to receivers who aren't DeAndre Hopkins. And Kyler's stats running the ball, five attempts, 20 yards, one touchdown. You know, the, the stats don't really encapsulate, you know, how excellent he looked with his legs. He looked quick. He looked smart. Concise with his runs. Very, very, very excellent. Quick. Very good. He also was able to create throws with his feet as well. He also had excellent throws to other receivers that were not named Hopkins. He had excellent throws to Christian Kirk. He had five five catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. Rondell Moore looked like a potentially explosive target for Kyler this season. He had four catches, 68 yards. The question here is, why is A.J. Green the wide receiver, too? Because he got the workload of wide receiver, too, and he does not earn it. Chris and Kirk and Rondell Moore are better receivers than him. I think we see more of those two guys, and I think we see some decline in the work with A.J. Green. At least the coaches need to see that, because clearly from the outside looking in, it seems that A.J. Green is on his way out of the league. Yeah, I mean, if they're seeing, if they're watching any game tape, that that will certainly be the trend we see moving on from here. And, and obviously, the the rookie's not going to get as many targets in week one, and that that usually slowly works its way up. So I think we'll see more Rondell more moving forward, especially with how impressive he looked on the field and that chemistry with Kyler looked fantastic. How they, how impressive the Cardinals looked with four wide receivers on the field, and what what does four wide receivers mean? You means Rondell Moore's in the game. They look yep. excellent with four wide receivers. On 12 plays with four wide, four wide receivers, they had nine dropbacks, eight passes, a 56% success rate. Kyler had a 156.2 pass rate. That is like as high as it gets. It Let Kyler cook, baby. Let's go. 12.8 yards per attempt, one touchdown. Out of that formation, they had three rush attempts, no success. But in those sets, Rondell Moore's on the field. If they used Moore and Kirk Moore with Hopkins and 11 personnel, I think it could increase their, their efficiency in 11 personnel because they were not that efficient in 11 personnel with, with three receivers. And that was instances with A.J. Green on the field and Rondell Moore not on the field. I think we need to see a, a swap of those two on the depth chart. I think if you start using more Rondell Moore going forward, take out Adrian Green. It's just a matter of development with Rondell Moore. He needs to learn to route trees more, and he needs to get more comfortable in the offense, and I think we'll see that going forward. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I really like the Cardinals this year and their offense to continue to improve. Yeah, you know the, the only question mark for them is can their defense hold up the standards they set in week one? They need that defensive line to continue to be explosive because I do think they have some holes in their secondary that could be exploited against a strong offensive line. If Minnesota's offensive line is able to hold up, Justin Jefferson could see a nice breakout game in week two after a slow week one. Yeah. I mean, talking about that Chandler Jones had five sacks, but look, the Cardinals defense still ranked 18th in team pass rush rate. They, they uh, rush win rate 47%, eight, right around league average 18th overall, according to ESPN's rankings. So, you know, Chandler Jones had those five sacks, but overall the defense was still giving Tannehill a little bit too much time to throw. Um, so I like that point. Minnesota's offensive line is definitely going to be a big X factor. Look, Minnesota was my biggest mistake of the week last week. Their offense had just a 42% success rate. They fooled us. Cook, despite Dalvin Cook being one of the most talented running backs in the league, the rushing attack got off to a terrible start in the season. They only had a 36% success rate running the ball. 
and they forced overtime only because the Bengals were so bad in the secondary. They allowed five explosive plays on defense to the uh, Minnesota Vikings. They were unable to keep a lid on a Minnesota offense that struggled with consistency all day. Really, all they had to do was not let them get beat in, be, um, in behind the secondary, and they couldn't do it. So, and you know, Arizona on the on the defensive side of the football, they held Tennessee last week to a forty five percent success rate on the ground with Derrick Henry. They were at, that's twenty two rushes, eighty six yards, three point nine yards per carry. And Minnesota with Dalvin Cook, you know, thirty nine thirty six percent success rate. Look, I love Dalvin Cook, but this doesn't really feel like another good matchup for him. And the 36% success rate in week one was not encouraging considering how pessimistic we are about the Bengals defense heading into the year. So uh, I, I just don't I don't see how Dalvin Cook makes puts his stamp on the game in any sort of significant way running the ball. I like Dalvin Cook in general. I think he's definitely capable of a big play here, big play there. Maybe a passing a passing reception here. Um, maybe get involved in the passing game, but... Uh, Based on the week one performance from Arizona's D, you have to think that Dalvin Cook's in, an, in for another tough matchup. Yeah, I mean, if you have him in your fantasy league, you're absolutely playing him. He's still your running back one. Sure. But maybe this is the type of situation where you pass up on him at his DraftKings price or, or fan duel. Certainly. All right, some betting trends. The, over, the, uh, the betting line here, the uh, point total has gone under in four of the last five games between these two teams in Arizona. So I kind of lean the under... But look, I'm taking Arizona minus three and a half. After losing Minnesota last week, I, I just I couldn't just I couldn't live with myself picking Minnesota again. I'm not doing that again. You can't trust you can't trust Kirk Cousins. Yeah, it's like, I, I I don't know how I trusted Cousins in Week One. Like, did I forget what kind of quarterback he was? He's so he's he's like he puts up those fantasy fake numbers. He just hollow fantasy stats. I think he had like what 300 something passing yards and. Did you like that? You like that, Ben? He had a forty-four percent success rate. So when you look at the advanced stats, he was terrible. Cousins, I like I like Cousins over on his passing yards and the props. I saw while I bad mouth him, I want on the other side of my mouth. I'm going to say over two hundred seventy-two yards passing the ball. But look, he has propensity for just filling up the stat sheet and having low success on on the field. His, I don't think he's going to lead this team to victory, but I do like the opportunity for just a two hundred seventy-two passing uh, passing yards total for him very well in the cards for a guy like cousins who just loves to sling it especially with all the talk about the difficulty they're going to have running the ball so yeah it makes a lot of sense to me where are you you picking this one i'm going to be on arizona as well i i really like kyler i was disappointed by minnesota just as much as the week one so you know for me it's just going where where the trend is right now and and with a healthy kyler especially you know, the first eight weeks of last year, he was just so fantastic. I think that continues until until we see anything different. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the Arizona Cardinals. Agreed. All right, five more games to go. Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucks are favored by twelve and a half points. The over under point total fifty one and a half. One of the highest of the week. This is the second game we're talking about here with a double digit underdog after uh in, in this week's slate of games. So the line opened up last week, Tampa Bay minus nine and a half. It's bet it's now up to 12 and a half. One of the biggest line movements of the week. Tampa Bay was incredibly impressive against Dallas on Thursday night, heading into Sunday with extended rest against Atlanta. And Atlanta was one of weeks, week one's biggest disappointments. What are your thoughts here? Is there any hope for Atlanta? I mean, the, the point spread is one thing, but any hope of even contending for a, a, a victory in this one? Is Atlanta just completely crossed off? 
I don't think Atlanta wins. You know, they looked just horrendous last week against the Eagles, which we thought was, you know, more of a mediocre team than a top end of the league team. So going against Tampa Bay, where you and I have them in our top two and, and, and likely to repeat as Super Bowl champions, um, me on the Chiefs side, but you, you on Tampa Bay. How can it get any more tough as a matchup? Um, but the line 13 points, I think there's certain or 12 and a half. I think there's certainly optimism there in terms of being able to cover uh, just because Matt Ryan has a propensity for garbage time points. He can fill up the stat sheet. I do think we see some positive regression in terms of this team's performance. Uh, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, I think they're too offensively talented to get absolutely blown out again. I, I hope and I think they will make this more competitive. Yeah. Look, there's not really much to say for Tampa. They're just excellent. All the continuity coming into this year based on their Super Bowl season, all the same starters that they had. 22, all 22 Super Bowl starters came into the new season for 2021 and yet showed they came out and had an excellent week one performance on Atlanta side of the football. Very disappointing matchup. Uh, they and and they, on offense they were incredibly uh, disappointing in terms of just predictability. On eleven personnel, they were running the ball well and passing the ball terribly. And in twelve personnel, they were running the ball terribly and passing the ball well. It created an incredibly predictable trend that the Eagles picked on picked up on very quickly. If they were in heavy personnel, they were they were the pass the pass was the threat. And eleven personnel with three three wide receivers spread it out wide. The running the running game was was the the way to go for them. So. It was an um, incredibly disappointing performance from Atlanta. I'm expecting some improvement from them. I don't know if we'll see it against such a tough opponent with Tampa Bay. But look, this early in the season, I'm not I, I'm not touching a, a double-digit point total. I mean, double-digit spread out. If I have to pick one here, 12.5 is the point total. I'm taking Atlanta plus 12.5 just for the value. But it's it's just... Um, it's just... Uh, there's no value in that. There's no, either one way or the other, for really. Because... Considering that the lines moved three points after week one, that could very well just be an overreaction to the first set of games. So if, yeah. if I have to bet, if I have to bet this game, I'm I'm staying away from the betting line. But if you want to bet Tampa, I wish you know everybody likes Tampa in this one, I'd either tease them or I'd bet the over on Brady's passing yards, 309, 309 and a half is his passing yardage total. I like the over on that. Tampa Bay team total is 33. So if you like Tampa Bay, I'd bet the over on that just because the risk in betting the over on the on the game's point total, 51 and a half, is Atlanta really not holding up their end of the bargain because they could mm-hmm. just be blown out of the water. Um, they they really just did not encourage a whole lot of optimism in their first week one performance. Yeah, I, I feel similarly. Like there's definitely downside in betting the over because, you know, Atlanta could flub again if their offensive line just gets completely dominated by the Tampa Bay Bucks pass rush like they did in week one against the Eagles. Um, but I do think Tom Brady plays well. I just traded for him in fantasy because of this. You know, I don't think Atlanta has one of the, the best defenses. They were exposed by Hurst, somebody who we thought was somewhat limited in the passing game. And he, he looked very smooth in week one. So I think Tom Brady, who looked fantastic uh, and is coming off of, you know, a Super Bowl victory, I think he continues that success. So while I think 12 and a half is a lot and I think Atlanta covers, I also think that we see another successful game from Tampa Bay and they end up winning. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next matchup, Dallas at the Los Angeles Chargers in L.A. Chargers are favored by three and a half points. The over under point total. I think this is the highest of the week. Fifty five and a half. Talking about a high scoring game here in Los Angeles. It's going to be somewhat of a home game for Dallas. They have a lot of a lot of home, a lot of fans, Dallas fans in Los Angeles and um, kind of 
sucks for the Chargers. They have a really great home field, and the fans don't show up in, in a game like this. That's going to be a big one against, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys, one of the nation's biggest, most famous teams. And, um, you know, you're looking at this matchup, Dak's week one comeback, no joke. Excellent game. And he's a shoe-in for the Comeback Player of the Year award. As long as he stays healthy, it's kind of his award to lose. His odds show it plus 185 this early in the year is pretty big. As long as he doesn't get hurt, that's that award seems like it's his. Jameis Winston and Joe Burrow seem like his only competitors, plus 500 and plus 600 respectively for those two guys. But Dak's public opinion is always trending upwards right now, and rightfully so. He had a 58% success rate passing the ball in the season opener. The Dallas Cowboys finished 10th in pass DVOA. They were 24th last year. A lot of that impacted from Dak's absence. And Tampa Bay blitzed Dak a lot. They tried to keep him uncomfortable with the with the leg injury, trying to make him move his feet, and it didn't work. Dak was excellent passing the ball. They blitzed him 33, 33 times total, Tampa Bay Bucks did. That's 12 more than the second most team of the week. So we're talking about a, 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 an anomaly type of blitz rate for the Tampa Bay Bucks, and it didn't work for the Dallas Cowboys offense because they only pressured him 14 and a half times, which is right around league average. So Dak you know, felt comfortable in the pocket. The offensive line protected him well enough, and the Dallas Cowboys offense, you know, while the defense couldn't hold the Bucks, the, the offense kept him. You know, it was really a matter of who had the ball last, and it ended up being Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But no shame in the performance that the Cowboys offense put up in Thursday night football. What do you think about here with, with the Cowboys and the Chargers? Because the Chargers had a good matchup in their week one game against the, the, the Washington football team. I think we ha- we gained a little bit of knowledge from last week and what Daniel Jones and the Giants offense was able to expose about this Washington defense. I think they might be a little bit overrated, um, especially when you look at their success last year. It was mainly against bottom of the league quarterbacks. So Daniel Jones looked extremely good in week two. The Giants had a great offensive output. Maybe the Chargers aren't necessarily as great as we think they are. You know, maybe they didn't play such a great defense in week one in the Washington football team. On the other hand, I think Dallas proved that they're completely legit in terms of their offensive output. So this game, I think, is more of a coin flip, whereas you're getting three and a half points if you're taking Dallas. I don't think there's that much of a home field advantage for the Chargers at this point. Uh, So I'm leaning on the Dallas side. I'm very encouraged by their week one out, but I think Zeke was more of a scheme rather than an inefficient running back. So I think he has a nice bounce back in, in the second game as well. Yeah, I feel you there, and, and uh, I don't, I don't disagree completely with your with your arguments there. I just, I, I'm really optimistic about the Chargers this year for whatever reason. I yeah, just, I, that type of game last week felt like one that they would have lost with Anthony Anthony Lynn over the last couple yep. of years. That was like a yeah. game that they just they typically lost every every time. And they go into Washington and they 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 got out a tough victory. And I liked the clip. Justin Herbert held the football. Did you see that? They get the win. He holds the football the whole way through. Gets to the locker room. Uh, new head coach, uh, Brandon Staley, says, you know, I always wanted to give out these game balls. He gives them out. And then Herbert's like, hold up, hold up. This one's for you. And he gives him the game ball. And yeah. it was awesome. Gives that was cool. Balls. It was cool. Very cool. And I think just things are vibing here for the Chargers. And look, this Justin Herbert, I think, is one of the league's best quarterbacks in just his second year. I really love what I've seen from him. I just I'm really high on him. And look, the Chargers defense, I think, is pretty underrated. They were they were pretty good last week. And and, and um, I think the X factor for Dallas, though, is whether or not they could get Zeke going, because I think we'll see a little bit of a better secondary performance for the the Chargers because they have a better secondary rank, higher set. 
higher ranked secondary than the Buccaneers. Yeah, but, Derwin James is incredible. The, yeah. What he what he looked like coming back last week. So yeah, I totally yeah. agree on that end. But it's gonna it's gonna depend on Zeke because last week Zeke didn't didn't show up really. He had a thirty nine percent success rate on eighteen carries, sixty yards. They were not able. They were not able to run the ball efficiently last week. And and you look at the Washington side of the football against the Chargers in Week One. Antonio Gibson and, and the Washington football team had a seventy percent success rate running the ball against the Chargers. So that was really the Chargers' weakness. And the over under the over under yardage total for Zeke is only fifty eight and a half. I'm kind of slamming that over. And yeah, I like that. The the if the Cowboys are going to move the football, I think it's going to have to be on the ground rather than than the pass in this one. I mean, Dak's going to get his yards. And they're going to, you know, they have such an elite passing game, but um, yeah. I think not, I think to a lesser degree than that week one performance, that was super impressive. I think they'll be creative enough getting Cooper and CD, you know, in different positions on that offense. I think they're both legitimate wide receiver one. So, you know, and, and additionally having Gallup, I think they'll be able to move the ball well enough, but yeah, I think they'll have a tougher time moving in week than, than they did week one against the, you know, the Tampa Bay cornerbacks who are, who are much worse than the Chargers cornerbacks. So I think that's an apt comparison. And I, I definitely like the Zeke over pick for sure. Yeah. One last thing with the Chargers, we talked about in the preseason, their propensity to struggle on early downs. They were running the ball too much on early downs, made for some tough throws for Herbert on third downs, kind of spelt some tough formulas for success. Herbert was unbelievably successful on third downs last season. And to reduce the need for that, they're going to need to be more efficient on early downs. And so what did we see? On the first, on first and second downs in the first three quarters of last week's game for the Chargers, Herbert had decent success: fifty percent success rate, six point three yards per attempt. Eckler on the running game had a 60 percent success rate on those plays, a four point five yards per carry. I think with the addition of Eckler, with a, a new offensive scheme, I think we're going to see some continued improvement on early downs, and that's going to be important for the Chargers moving the football. Hopefully, that trend continues early on in this season here. Betting trends here, Dallas, you know, they're four and one against the spread in their last five games, just um, on their own. The Chargers are five and zero oh against the spread and straight up in their last five games as well. So both these two teams doing pretty well in gambling circles. It's going to make for a tough matchup here. One of my favorite games of the week. I'm taking the Chargers minus three and a half, though. You know, you know the boys, huh? I'm on the boys. I'm I'm riding the Cowboys. I have Dak and Cooper and CD and a few fantasy teams. I think this offense is just gonna gonna try to push for some NFL records. And uh, Dak's definitely gonna be the comeback player of the year. And I think he comes back in game two with a win. I like it. I like it. All right, next matchup here: the Tennessee Titans heading into Seattle take on the Seattle Seahawks. The point total. I mean the the point spread here is in Seattle's favor, six and a half. Pretty big line, 54 and a half um, is the over-under point total, one of the higher ones of the week. How do you feel about this matchup between the Titans and the Seahawks? Because these two teams kind of had different results in week one. Titans were incredibly disappointing. Seattle was pretty impressive in their matchup and their win over the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, to the Titans' main weakness was their offensive line, and that's really what held them back. Additionally, I think their defense also looked pretty poor. And these are two areas where I think Seattle can really explode, uh, exploit those weaknesses. You know, they, their defensive line looked very strong. They were able to get after the quarterback in week one. And additionally, their offense is quite explosive. Tyler Lockett is always due to have a big game. He can have multiple touchdowns. And, of course, DK Metcalf is a fantastic wide receiver, one of the most athletic guys in the league. Russell Wilson, always the guy who you say, has, has he won an MVP yet? You know, and 
you never know. This could be the year if Carroll decides to completely unleash him with a new offensive coordinator. It's a possibility. And I like their running game. So I, I, I'm leaning Seattle. I like their strength early on in the season to continue and to be able to exploit the weaknesses we saw in week one from Tennessee. No, well said. I, look, Tennessee was one of the teams I was most pessimistic about after the week one performance. I was I was very optimistic about Tennessee heading into the year. I really like mm-hmm. what I've seen from the offense since Tannehill took over. But really, it seems like the loss of Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator has really impacted them. And I think the wear and tear on Derrick Henry is real. Look, I'm not saying a fall off is eminent for a guy like that, considering the physical ability he has. But this offensive line is not helping him out. They were terrible. Uh, what's the what's the offensive le- what's the left tackle's name again? Taylor Luan. Luan got burnt. This absolutely put- so badly he had to acknowledge it on public media <laughs> on social media. He could he couldn't not address it because it was embarrassing. And five sacks is not normal for, for a defensive player. That's that's like, that's like I, that's got to be one of the highest totals that we've seen in recent. Did you hear he he already got voted to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Cameron Jones. That's officially already on the books. He <laughs> look for Seattle here. They were excellent in Week One, and I talked about in the preseason that the likelihood of Seattle to run the ball more in in with they brought in a new offensive coordinator this year, Pete Carroll. When he brings in the offensive coordinator, he wants to protect Russell Wilson more often, and we talked about that the likelihood of them running the ball more. They ran the ball fifty four percent of the time on offense for, that means 46% of their passes, but they were excellent across the board and it led to some just really highly efficient offensive totals on offense. They were 62% successful on their overall plays running the ball 67% successful. That's an excellent mark from Chris Carson and company really look to see that that continue to, um, you know, progress for them. They had four, four explosive plays on, on passing four, three expo- explosive plays, running the ball, Passing the ball, they had a 58% success rate. So really across the board, Seattle's offense was excellent against the Colts. And the Colts, they're thought to have had a, have a decent defense. So very impressive performance from Seattle. The 6.5 spread is a little tough, but I'm taking Seattle minus 6.5. I just, look, I'm very pessimistic about Tennessee. Derrick Henry just didn't look right. The offensive line was terrible. Julio Jones looked old and didn't create a lot of space for himself. He was supposed to be the big guy that I thought was going to kind of un- be the linchpin of this offense. Didn't like what I saw from week one. I think at the very least, it's going to take some time for him to settle in into, into this offense. And so really the only one in fantasy per- in fantasy circles that I'm optimistic about in Tennessee is obviously the number one wide receiver, A.J. Brown. But taking Seattle minus six and a half in this one. What do you think, Connor? Yep. See the same way. Seattle minus six and a half for all the same reasons. Gotcha. All right. Kansas City at Baltimore. The game of the week here, really. Kansas City is heading to Baltimore. Baltimore coming off that Monday night heartbreak. Chiefs are favored by three and a half points. 54 and a half is the point total here. I think I'm lower on Baltimore than most. But what do you what do you see here with this matchup? Yeah, I didn't like what I saw week one from them. That defense really got picked apart. And we saw the negative impacts of losing, losing guys like Marcus Peters, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. I mean, these were all critical pieces of their offense and defense. The defense didn't really create that big play, that big turnover, and that was kind of Marcus Peters' specialty. The offensive ground game is going to be fine with Tyson Williams and Latavius Murray, but I don't think it's not. I don't think it's nearly as explosive as it would have been with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. It's going to be less reliable as well. We didn't really see Tyson Williams in the second half, and I and I don't think the team necessarily trusts him as much. And you know. 
Peyton and Eli, they kind of broke it down. If you play kind of a zone D and put the pressure on Lamar and kind of spy that QB rush, you have to make him beat you. And a lot of times I don't think he's a good enough quarterback to beat you. On the other hand, Kansas city, they're still my super bowl favorites. Patrick Mahomes just creates those plays like that 75 yard touchdown to Tyree kill where it's just like, how did he do that? But if there was one player to answer that question, it's Patrick Mahomes. He went full Kermit mode and he makes the play happen. (laughs) That was unbelievable. Look, this matchup is more or less kind of a stay away for me in terms of uh, betting the line. Three and a half is tough because I think if it was two and a half, I'd slamming Kansas City. But Kansas City just has a tendency to just play with their food. They like they they, they have this perceived, <laughs> they have this perceived dominance. The cat with the mouse just it's like it's never really a question that they're going to win, but they just like they play with their food, and that shows in the gambling circles. In their last fourteen games, they're two and twelve against the spread, but they're, wow. 12, they're twelve and two straight up. So Mm -hmm. they're really not covering point totals. They don't care. They don't give a shit about you and me betting on these games. No, they just want to win the game. They just want to win. And they have a tendency to kind of play with their food. And I just, I wouldn't expect a blowout here from the Chiefs. And if there were a blowout, you know, the Ravens would be forced to throw the ball and come back from a large deficit. And I don't think that's going to be the case. So what I'm doing here, obviously, you know, I'm lower on Baltimore, so I'm not going to pick them. So with the three and a half points, with the three and a half spread, I'm going to have to take Kansas City. But I'm not putting a personal dough on that. I'm staying, I'm, staying away, I'm staying away from this bet, but I'm betting the under 54 and a half. And you look at the pace of play for these two teams, you'd be surprised at how they looked in week one, especially Kansas City. Kansas City had the second slowest pace of play in week one, which is surprising when you consider the game script because they were facing the Browns and they were behind early. Yet they were second second slowest in terms of yards per minute. I mean, uh, plays per minute. So Kansas City, you know, they, they want to come into this uh, season, it seems like, and just create a rhythm and offense, kind of control the game. And I think that's going to bode well for less points. And Baltimore, on their pace of play, was right around league average. So neither, neither of these two teams really lighten it up on offense the way you'd expect them to, at least in recent seasons. So... I'm taking the under 54 and a half. I'm taking Kansas City minus three and a half. If anything, I'd tease that because uh, I really just don't. I don't like that 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 three and a half spread. Um, but I'm, I'm staying away from that. The player prop bet I like on this one: uh, Lamar Jackson under 220 and a half passing yards. That's a plus 105 odds on Bet MGM. He had 30 pass attempts last week for 235 yards. So he he would have hit the over, but only had more than 30 passes twice all last season. That was versus the Bengals in week five and the Patriots in week 10. They, I think he was uh, behind in that New England game. He lost that game. Cincinnati, that was kind of a, a doozy of a game. They dominated that one. Important to mention, last week he hit a full extra overtime as well. Exactly. Well, I forgot about that. Good point. And last year against Kansas City in this matchup against the Chiefs, he only had 97 passing yards. He went 15 for 28 passing the ball, so did not have a good showing against the Chiefs last year. I really like this bet under Lamar Jackson, under the passing yards total of Lamar Jackson, 220 and a half. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I see it similarly. I like that bet under Lamar Jackson. He would have been under if he played just the uh, the regular the regular game time instead of going to overtime last game. And the Chiefs passing D is pretty solid. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to take the uh, take the Chiefs minus three and a half, and uh, I'm totally happy following you with a little personnel though on the Lamar under. All right, buddy. Last game of the of the docket, the Monday night game. This is kind of a stinker, especially because Green Bay was so disappointing in week one. Detroit at Green Bay. 
The, uh, the Packers are favored by 11 and a half. The over-under point total, 48 and a half. This line opened at Green Bay minus seven and a half. So what happened in week one <sighs> where you'd give Green Bay four more points? I mean, what is what happened? Like, I, I, that doesn't make a lot, a lot of sense to me. So, like, there's no value in Green Bay here. It was, it's another double-digit point total. If, 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 you, if you notice anything, I'm just staying away from that here in week two. I'm taking Detroit 11, uh, plus 11 and a half. Some betting trends. Detroit 7 and 1 against the spread against Green Bay in their last eight matchups. They're 4-4 four and four straight up, actually, over the last eight. So Detroit doesn't actually just get dominated by Green Bay over a lot, over recent history. It's been a little bit closer than you'd think. But, you know, Green Bay is 22-3 and three straight up in the last 25 home games against Detroit. So they have been dominating on, uh, on the home games, a uh, home front. So the total here between these two teams has gone under in four of the last five games. So if anything, I'd probably bet the under 48.5. I did not like what I saw from Green Bay's offense. And a lot of Detroit's offense came in garbage time. I don't think they're going to fall behind so much here against Green Bay. If anything, I'd take Detroit plus 11.5 and, and maybe the under on 48.5 on the point total. What are your thoughts here, Connor? I don't like this game at all. <laughs> might not even be- I, re- I really think that like Green Bay might beat them by like 40 points. But I also wouldn't be shocked if Detroit back-ended them like they did last week. Goff is the king of garbage time. So smart money-wise, I think, you know, Green Bay realistically wins this game. I think they have a nice bounce back. But 11 and a half is just too big. And just like they did last week, I think Detroit is capable of doing something similar, especially with Goff. He knows he, he when there's nothing to lose, that's when Goff is at his best because he slings it around and can be quite effective. Biting, did you see them biting kneecaps and breaking arms and legs? And <laughs> <laughs> Coach Dan Campbell. <laughs> yeah, I just look. I I don't see any value in betting Green Bay in this one. You got to go with Detroit if you're getting if you're yeah. betting that line. You got to bet Detroit if if you're going to bet Green. It's Bay, a stay away from me though. Like I just I I wouldn't be because I wouldn't be shocked if Aaron Rodgers just was like screw you all after week one and Devontae Adams they just go crazy. Yeah. If anything, I'd tease them. I'd tease them down yeah. past the seven. So. I wouldn't tease Aaron Rodgers any more than we did already after week one. <laughs> For sure. All right, I am poor guy in a rough I, week. <laughs> I feel bad. We're we're getting late over there. Let's wrap it up here with some DFS. Do you have the results from our DFS from the week one set of games? Yes, so you would have cashed in a head-to-head. You came in the 49th percentile, so you just cut it 118 points. Came at 99, but that's to be expected when uh, I had Raheem Mostert go out in the first quarter. He was one of my uh, top running backs, so that kind of held me back. Otherwise, I probably would have scored pretty similarly to you. You got bolstered by your great pick in Tyreek Hill, who ended up exploding for 40 points. So that was the, uh, the pick of the week between both of us for sure. Cool. All right, buddy. Let's talk about our week two DFS lineups. You want to go first? Or you want me to? Uh, let me get into it. I got mine up and I'm ready to go. So at quarterback, I'm going with Jalen Hurts. He's only 6,500. I love that in DFS, you know, you really just, you, you get a big, large benefit from a rushing quarterback. Gives you a really solid baseline. Plus, I was excited by what we saw week one from Hurts. Uh, my running back one, I'm going with McCaffrey. There's not a safer play out there. I'm paying up. He's $9,900, so super expensive. I think because of that price total, people are going to be off of him in a tough matchup against the Saints. But his utilization rate, especially in the passing game, is just so high that I think he just brings in a, a really high ceiling and a really high floor to my team. Elijah Mitchell is my RB2. He's only 5,000. So I'm taking that chance that, you know, Shanahan does really rely on him 
And we never know. Jamal Hasty and Trey Sermon could lead this backfield, so it's not exactly a free chip. But at the potential starting running back for only five thousand is a good deal. My wide receiver one, Calvin Ridley, in a game, a bounce back game against Tampa Bay, they were completely exposed by C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. So I think we see some nice yardage totals. Cooper Cup is my wide receiver two going against Indianapolis. I really liked Cooper Cup of the way Matthew Stafford targeted him. He looked explosive running over players. My wide receiver three is Jalen Waddle. So he was the, uh, you know, the freshman coming out in week one, looked really well with Tua, scored a touchdown. Uh, I think he looked really athletic. I'm kind of taking a chance at tight end with Jared Cook. I, I like the Dallas Los Angeles Chargers over under. I think it's a big point total. So I'm trying to grab a piece of that game. And I think Jared Cook could potentially receive some benefit in terms of yards or in terms of a touchdown. Uh, and then my flex is Javante Williams. And week one, he wasn't totally effective, but he got 14 carries. So at $4,400 against Jacksonville, I really like the matchup. With that same workload, I think he is a lot more efficient. Defense and going with the Jets against the Pats. Mac Jones, it's only his second game. I don't think that's necessarily an explosive offense. Nelson Aguilar beating their being their uh, best wide receiver, Jacoby Myers. This is not a team that we were or a matchup where we expect a huge point total. I like it, buddy. That's a good lineup. All right, let me roll through mine. Teddy Bridgewater, I'm kicking it off here, saving a little dough here, being being a conservative with Teddy Bridgewater, going to give me a high floor, low ceiling against a, t- I mean, a really t- terrible uh, opposing defense, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. The matchup's solid. Brid- Bridgewater looks excellent in uh, week one against a, a more uh, talented defense, opposing defense in the New York Giants. I think Bridgewater continues the trend of improvement here for the Denver Broncos passing attack. Give me some Nick Chubb in my RB1 spot, 7,800 for the Cleveland bell cow back i know he shares some some workload with cream hunt but that doesn't matter when you're facing the houston texans who i expect to be a pretty well below average uh opposing defense and i, I think, like it i think it's a great matchup for nick chubb especially if cleveland blows them out which i probably anticipate i think nick chubb's gonna eat some clock in the second half give me some austin eckler in my rb2 spot awesome excellence is what the fans of football <laughs> like to call him awesome austin eckler is an excellent running back had a little bit of a slow start in week one. Got the touchdown, saved his week that way. But I think we started to see him develop a little bit bigger workload here in week two. Was I think he, I mean I drafted him in the first round fantasy drafts was someone that uh, I was very high on in the preseason. Dallas's defense is not necessarily one you're going to be afraid of here for Eckler. I think uh, he's going to be well involved in the, both the passing game and the running game. He also got a uh, a couple goal line touches last week as well so i was definitely encouraged by that work um that you know uh rushing rushing attack as well for the the chargers so give me some eckler 7300 in the rb2 spot also keenan allen so i'm sticking with the chargers here i like allen i just i think he's so consistent high floor high ceiling guy just uh, justin herbert's number one target so i'm getting some justin herbert here without actually paying up for a guy like love that matchup just the over under is so high Give me Keenan Allen in the wide receiver one. I don't see how you go wrong with that. And then I'm going to save some money here in the, the rest of my wide receiver spots. Tim Patrick, going to see some extended workload with the loss of Jerry Judy. I think Patrick's a, a very talented wide receiver, probably someone that would be more expensive if his name was like Zip Flash or something like that. Tim Patrick, so bland, so so meat and potatoes. The, the, the name really does him in. I, I think- Can we call him Zip Flash from now on? <laughs> Denver facing the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm getting that that stack with the Bridgewater play there. 4,600 for Tim Patrick in the wide receiver two spot. Give me Jalen Waddle in the wide receiver three spot facing the Buffalo Bills. 
Jalen Waddle had the touchdown in his debut as a rookie, just $4,500. I think I'm, I'm very high on Waddle coming into the season. Still high on him in week two. Buffalo did show some some uh, vulnerabilities on the defensive side of the football last week. I know Pittsburgh's offense couldn't really capitalize, but Buffalo is definitely not a defense that looks excellent early on, especially because Tredavious White is not going to be shadowing Jalen Waddle in all likelihood. So give me some Waddle in the wide receiver three spot. Also, tight end. I'm taking Tyler Higby for the Los Angeles Rams, $4,100. Higby is someone that I love at the tight end spot. I'm going to probably be taking Higby as often as I can, as long as that price stays down. Just $4,100. Going to be one of Matthew Stafford's favorite targets this year, I anticipate. Really love him again in his matchup against the Indianapolis Colts in week two. And then we talked about it with with the uh, the Seattle Seahawks in in their matchup against the Tennessee Titans this week. Give me some Chris Carson and the rushing attack for the Seattle Seahawks in my flex play. Sixty one hundred dollars for Carson. I love Carson this season. Someone who I think is going to be a borderline RB one, high tier RB two type of fantasy running back. We already talked about how Seattle is showing some commitment to run the run the ball efficiently and often in their offense this year protect russell wilson let him cook when the time's right let russell wilson be really efficient with his work but give carson the volume i like carson 6100 against tennessee that looked terrible last week i I love that play in my flex i think that's where i'm getting the most value here and then my defensive spot i'm going to new orleans saints facing the carolina panthers 3100 dollars. had some money left over was able to pay up for one of the better defenses here i like new orleans i just like the defense they looked excellent week one I think Carolina's offense is without question worse than Green Bay's, despite, you know, Green Bay probably being more or less incredibly flat last week. I don't think Carolina is going to be doing a whole lot much more against the New Orleans Saints in week two. I like, I like paying up for the Saints for $3,100. Yeah, it's a good play. All right, buddy. Roll through your lineup one more time. All right, let me pull that up real quick. I got Jalen Hurts at my quarterback position. Uh, then I got McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Cooper Cup, Calvin Ridley, Jalen Waddle, Jared Cook, Javante Williams, and the New York Jets. Okay, so Waddle being the the uh, the thread that combines us here. I got Bridgewater, Chubb, Eckler, Keenan Allen, Tim Patrick, Jalen Waddle, Higby, Chris Carson, and the Saints. I like it, buddy. And I think what you're noticing too is we're targeting the same game. So we both took a player on the Rams offense, thinking they're going to play well with you know Week Two Matthew Stafford, and then. Yeah, I, I, they were also grabbing uh, the Chargers in, in a high over-under game against Dallas. And then additionally, we grabbed a, a Denver player uh, against Jacksonville, what is a very positive matchup. So while we're not necessarily taking the same players, we're taking bits and pieces of the same games because of those expected lines. And so, you know, maybe you could do a combination of our teams and uh, you hopefully get a positive outcome in week two. Yeah, well said. All right, buddy. I got a question for you as we close it out. I, I'm going to a card show tomorrow. And give me one, give me one player. Give me one football player who you think I should be keeping an eye out for at the card show I'm going to. Who's someone that you think I should be looking at at this card show? Ooh, that's a tough question. Does it have to be a quarterback? And you know, traditionally, yeah, quarterback prices. Someone who you think I, I uh, should be looking for? Well, my my mind goes to my boy Chark, but you're betting the under on week two, so you know, I don't know. That's a tough B. one. What's plan B? I, I like Jalen Hurts. I think he continues to move up. He's still only a fraction of Justin Herbert. And I, you know, after week one, if this team, if if the Eagles continue to play well, they could this this division's up for grabs. So I like, I like Hurts definitely. If like if they Devontae. make a playoff run, oh yeah, absolutely. The com- the combination for sure. 
Yeah, I like that one. That's one of my. That's a good recommendation. I'll keep that in mind, buddy. All right. Any final words before we wrap it up the podcast here? Allthingsanalysis.com. We have the refreshed power rankings going up. We'll get our player rankings in tune. So make sure you stay tuned to what we got going on. We'll get the uh, Ben's best bets article popping out and the DF- uh, DFS plays as well up on the site. So make sure you stay with us and stay tuned. And if you have any questions about your roster construction, feel free to reach out in the DMs. Yeah. Look, we're off to a great hot streak here to start the season. Already hit a couple three-leg parlays on the season. Hit one on Thursday night, got a Monday night parlay, and it hit the over-under parlay. We had it in my Best Bets article in week one. So keep listening to us here at ATA. We have some excellent football advice coming your way for the rest of the season. Off to a great start, and we're going to keep the momentum rolling, Connor. Yeah, and as the week as the uh, season goes along, we'll keep everybody updated with our success rates. That way, we can just say, "Hey, you know, we're hitting 60, 70, 80 percent of the time." Ben's bets are doing this. DFS plays are doing this. So stay with us, and we'll be able to prove our value year after year. We did it last year. We're going to do it again this year. All right, buddy. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, Vicious Talk with Benny P, on all your podcast platforms. We are on all of them. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Pod, Pod One, Google Podcasts, you name it. There's no excuses at this point. If you're listening to us here, you know how valuable we're, we are here in the, fan, in the football space. We're giving some excellent advice. Please go and support the podcast where you can. Absolutely. And uh, go DJ Chark. <laughs> go DJ Chark. We'll see, buddy. I'm wishing you luck in week two. <laughs> and your fancy football endeavors, your gambling bets, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you, brother. You as well. All right, man. Let's wrap it up here. Don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? <laughs>